0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit GraceCityBoston.com. Now let's get to the sermon.
1: Welcome again to Grace City. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nikki, and I will be reading our scripture verses for this morning. Uh, So if you will remain standing, we'll be in James 4, 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along, but it will also be here on the screen for you. James 4, 1 through 10 says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us in these intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you.
0: Thanks, Nikki. Hey, you can be seated. Good morning. So glad that you're here. My name is Brian. If I don't know you, I'm the uh, lead pastor here at uh, Grace City, and so I do want to just, as a dad to other dads, if you're here, uh, send a happy Father's Day to you as well. And so... uh, Parenting is parenting is challenging, and uh, I hear it only gets better. So I only have a nine-year-old and a three-year-old, uh, but I'm I'm doing it. I'm killing it. So all right, um, but happy Father's Day. Glad you're here. Uh, if you're here this morning, um, we're we're excited to have you here. If if you have a Bible, we're going to be in James chapter four, as we're going to be looking at starting in verse one. And so we're in a series called entitled uh, "Practical Faith," and, uh, and and so really over the last few weeks uh, inside of this series, we've been looking at kind of. Um, you know, the book of James, if if you're familiar with it at all, it's this very, uh, very kind of ground-level book, very practical faith. Uh, We've kind of said it week after week, but it's not a a book that you're going to read, and there's going to be a lot of confusion in terms of uh, kind of high theological thoughts, or you're not going to have to decipher through these kind of uh, the depths of theology in James' books. James' uh, book is unfortunately one of those books that uh, feels like when you're reading it uh, that you're, you're getting punched in the gut a lot of times uh, when you're reading. There are a few places there where it's like an encouraging thing, but for the most part you're reading it and you're like, oh shoot, you know? <laughs> There's just some things I need to uh, I need to get in order. And so uh, this morning is, is, we're just gonna continue in that theme, uh, in that theme of kind of getting punched in the face uh, and kind of receiving it in a way that is uh, receiving in a way that is for um, our good, and so one of the things that James, uh, in particular, is interested in is protecting uh, protecting the community of God. So he's thinking about the church. He's thinking about uh, the local churches. I mean, he is is writing these things uh, not so that uh, not so that we'll be this like more kind of moral person more like a a good person, but he's writing these things because the the behavior that James is observing the early church uh, having is creating destruction in the church, is creating problems in the community. And so James is writing these things saying to them, not only will this destroy you on an individual level, right? Not only will if you follow this pattern of life Will you continue to have relationships that are destructive, habits that are destructive? Like, not only will it break you down on an individual level, but James is also saying, hey, this will destroy any type of community you try and involve yourself in. And he, he's, he's very aware, James is very aware that something unique and powerful happens. And because here's the thought, right? This is, is, is why we gather on a Sunday, why we gather in groups, why we are seeking to create a, a community in general, why we gather as God's people, is that there's something um, unique that happens when people together agree to deny self, uh, agree to kind of say no to self-interest and commit themselves to living the way of Jesus. Like authentically committing themselves to live the way of Jesus. Like James knows that something powerful happens when that happens. Satan knows that something uh, powerful happens when you have a group of people who say no to self, and yes, to the way of God. Yes, the way of Jesus. And so James is writing these things, saying to them, be on the lookout for these things. Now, what are the things, like what is it that James is concerned about? Like when he's writing this and thinking about the church, what is he, is he concerned about um, the influence of culture on, the, on God's people, on the church, like, is he, is he worried that like the culture is going, is kind of seeping into the church and now we're beginning to look more like the culture? Like, is that in James' mind, is that what he's, is that like the threat to the first century church in this moment, that Rome, the Roman empire, the Roman culture, the Roman kind of ethos is coming into the church? Is that what James is concerned about? Maybe. Right? Is he is he concerned that like Satan is kind of roaming around in our in our gathering in our midst right now and whispering things? And there you know is there's very like spiritual kind of mystic level? Like is that what James is concerned about? Is he concerned that this community that God is building, both in the first century in his time and then in the uh, 2021 20, time that we're currently in, is it that he's worried about the enemy? Well, perhaps. But what you're going to see, and I think this is so important for us this morning. And this is what's been so convicting for me this week is I'm just sitting in this, right? Because you're, you're hearing this in like 30, 45 minutes on a Sunday, an hour if the Spirit's really moving. Okay. Um, I've been sitting in it all week. I've been thinking about it all week. And the thing that James is most concerned about, right? Because we're thinking about how do we protect the community of God? Not out of fear, right? Not that we're concerned that the church is gonna end, that the way of Jesus is gonna be stopped. But the thing that James is most concerned about, stopping the community of God's people, is us. It's you, and it's me. And this is what he's gonna speak to this morning. And he's going to say, if you are not on your guard, you will bring into the community of God a behavior that is destructive, that is unloving, that is self-centered, and that will dilute the way of Jesus among the people of Jesus. So let's look at it. You're like, thank you. This is what I want to hear on Father's Day. All right, so James chapter four, uh, starting in verse one. Let's, let's look at it in thinking about this idea um, that, uh, that we have to be on the lookout for ourselves in receiving what James is saying here. So this is verse one. Uh, This is what he says. We'll read a couple of verses, talk through it, read a couple more verses. Um, And so here we go. It says this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Okay, so there it is on the, on the front end. He's like, J- James is, is saying, hey, what is the source? Like the, the wars and fights among you. Look what he says. Don't they come from the passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask, right? He's, that's an indictment on their prayer life, uh, by the way. Just throwing that in there, verse three. Uh, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your Pleasures, on your pleasures. Okay, so we see here, so these two Greek words for uh, wars and fights, right? these are strong interpersonal words. They're saying that there is this conflict that is going on among God's people. This is who he's writing to. Because it's important to remember that James, uh, if you don't know much about James, so he was the brother of Jesus, and, and that's a significant thing, and, and that's honestly you know, to a strong kind of apologetic to the resurrected Christ is the fact that his brother is now following and worshiping him, right? Maybe you have a sibling, I'm not following my sibling that way. And so, but, but that's who James was. He was the brother of Jesus. And so that's, a, that's a, an incredible thing. But the other thing you have to know about is that James was an early church leader. So James worked with the church. Like he was familiar with church people. This is what he knew about them. And the other thing that you have to realize, because we've been talking about that the book of James is after your maturity, is after your maturity in your Christian discipleship. How do you grow in your Christian discipleship? The other thing about the church that James is leading, that he's a part of, that he's creating this kind of movement in, is it's a very immature church. There's no 20-year-old salvation anniversaries in James' church. This is a new thing. Brand new. Brand new. And it's confusing and difficult. And people with all kinds of different stuff that they're bringing in. All kinds of ways that they've been formed and developed and habits. And so James is saying, he says, what's the source of the wars and the fights among you? He, he, wants, to, he wants to pinpoint the problem. Like, a, like when you go to the doctor, a doctor will pinpoint the problem. He'll say, hey, what, here's the issue. Here's the, the problem that's going on among you. This is what... James is doing. He is inviting them. He's inviting us, essentially, into what? Into introspection, into consideration. He, he does the same thing in James 3.13. He says, who among you is wise and has understanding? Uh, again, another rhetorical question. He's inviting us into this consideration, into thinking. This is, this is essentially what he is, he is doing here. And he says, look, look back at the text. He says that um, these, these wars and fights among you, they come from these passions that are, that are waging war uh, inside of you, right? So he says we, that each of us have these kind of passions that are, that, are, that are living inside of us that are making community together more difficult. And, and making it harder uh, to, to, to do this. He's saying, listen, um, this is, this is kind of what we actually see. We see Paul talk about um, in, his, uh, in, in some of his letters, he talks about that he doesn't do what he wants to do, that he has this part of him that wants to follow Jesus, and he has uh, another part of him that doesn't want to follow Jesus, and he doesn't do what he wants to do, and he does do what he doesn't want to do, and you're like, dude, make up your mind. He says, I have this waging, this war waging against me. First Peter, in his letter, he talks about the same thing, that there's these desires that are waging war uh, inside of him. And so James is saying, what you have to be careful of is this, these passions and these desires that live inside of you, that live inside of each of us. These desires towards um, elevation of self. You, you see... Here's why, I don't know if you've not, if you've been around um, church long at all, or maybe you're early on in, in kind of the way of Jesus movement, you know. I'm not sure where you're at on that spectrum. But let me give you just a bit of a secret when you're operating in the church among God's people, is there's a tremendous amount of conflict that will exist within God's people. And I know, trust me, a tremendous amount of conflict that exists. I mean, there's a, just an unbelievable amount of, of repentance that has to happen, an unbelievable amount of like uh, acknowledging sins before one another and confession before one another, just an unbelievable, if you're in a healthy community, right? Uh, if you're not in a healthy community, that's a whole other issue. But if you're in a healthy community, it's like, man, I should have said it, shouldn't have said it that way, shouldn't have done that, I'm so sorry, uh, I'm recognizing that they were, having these, uh, they were having these problems, that is on me. And so James is saying, That your inward problems, think about it this way. You know, if you're married, you've seen this in your marriage. If you're a parent, you've seen this as a parent, right? It Really, any relationship, but it says your inward conflict is manifesting itself in an outward way that is now creating problems among the people of God. So you've got these messed up parts about you. This is where the wars and the fights are coming from, not not from the outside, you know, kind of cultural wars that are going on, all those, those effects, not, not the, it's not Satan made me do it, kind of enemy language, although that can be true at times. James is saying, no, you got got this inward fight towards self-centeredness that will destroy what God's seeking to build and create among his people. And so he's saying this is, um, this is what is happening. Look back at verse two of chapter four. He says, you desire and do not have. You, you murder and covenant and cannot obtain. That's a very real, we read that, we're thinking, oh man, it's kind of strong language, James. But you have to remember in the first century, it is, there's a very real possibility that people walking in the community of God were, were okay with murdering one another over wrongs. Like we're not talking 2021, you know, Boston. We're talking Roman government, first century, like serious stuff going on. You know, it's not like you text somebody, uh, you know, an unkind, like you slander somebody publicly. It's like, no, they, he's like, you are killing, like you're seeking to kill one another. Physically, you thought your church was bad. So he says, you, you covet, cannot obtain, you fight, you wage war, you not have because you're not do not ask. you do not ask. you do not see because you ask with wrong motives. You spend it on your pleasures. The, the Greek word there, so if you're looking in verse three, the end of verse three, The the Greek word translated there for pleasures is where we get the English word hedonism from. Hedonism, right? So so he basically says, hey, you have have troubles. You're having these troubles among you because you're only concerned about bringing pleasure to your life. This is what hedonism is. It's a seeking after pleasure for for yourself. This is is what's going on. And and James is essentially saying that the the self-focused life, that's what we're talking about here, that the self-focused life and the life devoted to Christian discipleship cannot live together. They don't work together. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You can't be self-focused while at the same time uh, walking in Christian discipleship. Jesus actually talks about this in Luke chapter uh, eight in verse 14. So Jesus tells, uh, kind of tells these various um, parables. He was kind of this master storyteller. If you've ever read his stories in the New Testament, this is just kind of what he does. He's, he's like, you know, they'll ask him a question and Jesus is like, He's like, that's a great question, man. It's a great question. There's a farmer, you know, and he just goes off on of these stories. You're like, dude, what are you doing? But he's, he, so he's this master, you know, he's helping you get to the conclusion that you need to get to, but he's guiding you that way. And so he actually tells a, a, one of these parables in Luke chapter eight, verse 14. Um, he says this, this is the parable, it's called the parable of the sower. And he says, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, this is the word, this is the gospel. He says, for as the seed that fell among the, uh, the thorns, uh, these are the ones who, when they've heard, so they've, they've heard the gospel, maybe they've been in church, they've, they've read the Bible, maybe they've kind of heard some things. They're, they're in that environment. He says, it's when they heard, they, they go on their way and, and the seed is choked with the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of life, and it produces no mature fruit. So Jesus says, there, there's a way in which the gospel this good news of Jesus goes out and, and it's being spread all over the place. And, he, and then Jesus says, hey, one of, the, one, of the, one of the things you have to look out for is if there is seed that is thrown among the ground, is thrown among the thorns, and, and the, the self-focused life, the life-seeking pleasure chokes out the good that the gospel is seeking to do and there's ultimately no fruit, and there's ultimately no no way of Jesus, right? it's a it's a it's, a, it's not a true Christian um, repentance confession moment in that the person's life. And so Jesus even says, I Man, you gotta watch out for this. You have to be careful about these things. This is what you have to do is watch out. You have to, to guard yourself from a life that is mostly interested in your convenience, your comfort, your control, right? That, that all these things like your convenience, comfort, and control are, are the most important thing. So you have to watch out for this mentality. This will destroy you. It runs counter um, to the way You see the death, hear, hear this, because we're seeking to build a community of Christ followers in this place. James says, the death of your individual rights, Do you know what that does? It resurrects community. When you, on an individual level, begin to say no to the self-focused life, right, you begin to look more like Jesus, more like the way of Jesus, he says your death results in life in the community. You saying no creates this type of birth in the community. Okay, so James builds on this. Look, James uh, 4, look at verse 4 through 6 here. We'll move along. Verse 4, he says, You adulterous people, happy Father's Day. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, or we're gonna say culture, let's just adopt that word culture for a moment because uh, the word were, uh, the, the Greek word for world can mean Um, all kinds of different things. It can mean distinct people. It can mean kind of the world, kind of global system um, as kind of a global system, or it can just mean the world as in in people in general. But let's think culture. So he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world or culture is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a, a friend of the world or culture becomes the enemy of God. This is strong language. Verse five. Or do you not think it's without reason that scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us in these intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so, so James here, look, look what he says about them in verse four. And it's a strong word. He, he calls them what? He says, you adulterous people, you adulterous people. Now, to, to, what, what is that? That's a pretty strong accusation. It's simply saying that, that it, it means that you've, you've left your love. You've turned your back on your love, on your, your first love. You, you've turned your back on your commitment. You've turned your back on your yes. You're no longer protecting and loving and caring for. This is what he's saying, you adulterous people. You said that you would do one thing, and now you're doing another. You are going against what you've said. And so James, friendship with the world rebuke, we, we see this a lot. So, so Paul's rebuke um, in, in his letter to Timothy, Paul writes a letter to another young leader. Um, and this is in, you can write it down, but it's 2 Timothy 3, 4. And he says, he says this, um, he, he says, you got to look out for those who are traitors, who are reckless, who are conceited, who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says, Paul says to Timothy, you look out for these people. They're lovers of, of pleasure, not lovers um, of God. You need to watch this. Uh, John's warning, this is in 1 John 2, 15 through 16. Listen what his warning to the church is. He says, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. Uh, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's 1 John chapter two, 15 through 16. And so we see all of these New Testament leaders, including Jesus, says, watch out for the pleasures of the world that will seek to derail you. James is falling in, um, to this. Now, I think it's helpful here for a second to recognize the kind of different approaches to culture that we tend to have. So, so if you're looking at a spectrum, Right, so just imagine we have a we kind of have a continuum here. And you're thinking about the Christian's view towards the culture or towards the world. We tend to run in extremes. We've talked about extremes before. The church is really good at that. And on one end of the, stream, uh, of the extreme is this, uh, what we would call this um, kind of under uh, appreciation for the culture or for the world. We, we would call it uh, like an under, we tend to under adapt, Right. So our posture in this world is to only challenge the world. Do you know what I mean? You know those people? They're awesome. We're like, there's nothing good here. You know, it's like only truth is God's truth. And, And, you know, you know those people, right? You're like, dude, chill. But it's just kind of like, hey, we need to isolate. We need to get away from the world. You know, no secular TV, no secular music, right? Disney, all of them, right? Let's just get done. Let's do all of it. Let's, let's go to a monastery, right? Let's just kind of do our thing. In, in some ways, it's kind of this like only challenging the world, kind of backing away from it. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, an over-appreciation for the culture and for the world. We're like, you, you only love it. You, you don't see the bad in it. You don't see the destructive nature of it. You, you know, you just, you look, especially if, if you're someone saying that you live in the way of Jesus, you just look like everyone else. This side is an overreaction to what James is talking about. When he says, don't love the world, don't love the culture. This is a, a reaction rooted in fear. You see that? It's in a, it's in a oh gosh, if I, if I don't protect the way of Jesus. If I don't protect the movement of God, this thing will end. I got to protect it from the world. So let's let's get away. It's an overreaction, and on this side is a total disregard for what James is saying. Total disregard. Nah, don't worry about it. All good. And so James is saying, think about the posture and the the. The, the posture that you have in the culture that you're operating in. And, and we have to consider that. I mean, we are saturated in the culture that we live in. Uh, do you know the, the um, I don't know if it's a story metaphor, I don't know, but you, you know where they, they uh, this, the idea of like the fish in the water and doesn't know it's in the water. You know, it's like, how's the water today? I don't know what water is, right? You're swimming in it. That, well, that's like, that's kind of the, the, we just all are operating and living in, in a culture that is forming us and shaping us in significant ways. And James is saying, man, you gotta have an awareness of how this is forming and shaping you. And, and don't think that it's not. And so he says, "Be pay careful attention to um, the culture. Think, think about these things and understand um, these things. Now look how James ends this in verse five. This is an incredible verse. So uh, chapter four, verse five, listen to what he says. He says, or do you not think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he has made to dwell in us in these intensely, in these intensely. Now think about this. This is, following verse, uh, this is following verse four, where he says what? You adulterous people. And now he says, don't you realize that this is how he knows that uh, he's talking to the, the people of Jesus. He says, don't you realize that the spirit that, that God has put inside of you, the Holy Spirit, in these intensely. Maybe your Bible says it's, it's jealous for you. When I was a, a freshman in college, I was in a philosophy class um, and my philosophy teacher, uh, she, she, her approach to, this is a secular university, her approach to religion was kind of like a buffet. So she was like, you know, I just kind of take a little bit here, take a little bit here, take a little bit here. That was just kind of like her her approach to to various things. And and anytime we got to Christianity, she took a great amount of pride in telling us how dumb Christianity was. Right? It's like everyone else got a great pass, but we got to Christianity. And uh, so you know, I get it. She's probably hurt somewhere down the line. Totally understand that. But but the the thing that she would put in front of us in in this moment is this idea that that we have a God who is a jealous God. And so she would write it on the board. I remember this. She'd write it on the board and she goes, jealousy? God's jealous. Isn't that a negative trait? Isn't that wrong? She would pose her whole, whole question, you know, around this particular thought. And, and what she didn't understand, what she didn't get, you know, now she did after me, you know, an 18-year-old freshman really showed her the way. But what she, here's, what she, here's what she didn't get she didn't understand how beautiful uh, of a picture that really is. Because James is saying that, that he's given you a spirit that is now jealous or, or envies intensely inside you. It's the same way that like a husband and a wife should be jealous for their, spouse, uh, for their spouse's attention, right? If my wife or, or whoever, right, if, if you're married to someone and they're giving attention to someone else, an unappropriate amount of attention to someone else. As a husband or as a wife, you'd be like, hello, you know? In that moment, you're jealous for that affection, for that attention. Maybe it's a cell phone, you know? Why are you envious? Why are you jealous? Because that attention is rightfully yours. It's not a negative jealousy. It's actually a problem if you didn't have a problem with the fact that you weren't getting the attention that you were supposed to get. That's when the breakdown happens. And so James says, this is, this is unbelievably, this is just the beautiful nature of the gospel. James says, after he calls him adulterous people, after he says what causes wages or what causes wars and fights among you. He says it's your selfish desires, you don't ask, you don't receive because you don't ask. He says, There's a God in heaven who wants you, who is envious for your attention. Like, can you get that for a second? I don't know what your perception of God is in heaven. Maybe your perception is he's he's like a judge, he's a police officer, he's a whatever, an old grandpop, you know, whatever he's distant, he's uninterested, he's wrathful, he's unloving, you know, whatever that picture is for you. James is saying, no, there's a God in heaven who loves you and who has a spirit that is envious to be in close proximity to you. Are you receiving that this morning? I mean, that's incredible what he's saying here. He's not saying, clean yourself up, do all these types of things, and then whatever, whatever. He's saying, man, don't you know that the Father's love is compelled upon you, is trying to get in close to you, and you're only focused on self. It's like he, he, wants, he wants this intimacy with you, this closeness with you. Look at verse six, James 4, six, I'm almost done. He says this, but he gives greater grace, he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to them. Okay, so the way the text has been building to this, here's where we'll, um, here we'll kind of lay on the plane, right? So we've been talking about the, um, we think about the potential that the community has. It's coming open, we said, because we believe, um, we believe Grace City, we believe all, all the churches in, in, in the city of Boston. We believe there's a tremendous amount of potential when, when God's people say no to self and yes to the way of Jesus. We just firmly believe that that there, we can have a very real impact on the culture, very real influence on the culture. And so we're thinking about this idea of how do we protect in, in a really healthy way what we're doing here. And, and look, what, look, what James, look what James says. He, he's, gonna, he's going to pinpoint something that, uh, that ultimately is destructive. He says, when you operate with a posture of pride, look, again, look back at verse 6, he says, God resists one and gives grace to it. So he says, when you operate with a posture of pride, he's going to nothing will stop a movement of God faster than a prideful people, than a people who are full of themselves. So what does pride do? It elevates self over others. Who enjoys, who enjoys being around a prideful person? Nobody. Nobody, right? And so he says, nothing will stop or derail this thing closer than someone who, who's, who's elevating themselves over everyone else. So, so, what's the, so essentially, what's the opposite of pride? He says, it's what? He says, it's humility. Humility, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Humility is essential to Christian discipleship. So, so Jesus spoke on the importance of humility in a couple of different places. Obviously, you can write it down. So one of the times is he, he called on a, a child to him, and this is what he said about the child in front of all his disciples. This is, um, this is Matthew 18, verse four. He says, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, with men and women, who, mostly the men, trying to volley position for position in leadership, you know, trying to be like these, this kind of like influential type of individuals, Jesus pulls a kid in the midst of all of them and says, hey, you want to know who's great? Whoever humbles himself like this kid. That'll be who's great. This is the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. That, that's who's great. He says that in Matthew 18. Four. He also says in Matthew 23, 14, he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He says, you'll be exalted when you humble yourself. And then Peter following in the footsteps of this rabbi that had greatly shaped him. In First Peter 5, 6, Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. You know, I think in a lot of ways, Jesus' humility was probably the most striking thing about him. Like if you were to follow his life and, and you were to, to kind of watch him, I think it's probably the most striking thing about him is his humility, the, the humble posture that he had. Paul, Paul says this in, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. This is what he says. This should be on the screen. It's Philippians 2, 3 through 8. He, he says, do nothing out of selfish, listen what he says to the church. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Verse 4. Uh, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of. Of others. So Paul says to the church at Philippi the best way for you to live in community with one another is to consider others more significant than yourself. That is counterculture. That's it. I mean, that's how you should live at your work. That's how you should live in your marriage. That's how you should live in your friendships. That's how you should live in your classroom, on your college campus. With a, with a posture of considering others more significant than yourselves. James says, this is, uh, Paul says, this is how we are to do. Now look what he says about Christ in verse five. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he did what? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity When he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You see, Jesus modeled this way for us. He modeled this way of humility uh, for us. This is what he was doing when he left the heavenly realm and he took on flesh. This is what he was doing when he walked the same steps that we walk, when he exposed himself to hunger, to sickness, to temptation, when he was practicing patience with his disciples when he was understanding what it was like to to get hot and 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 understand what it was like to live in a a confined kind of bodily experience this was what this was the humility of jesus on display this was his humility on display james ending this verse out verses seven through ten just quickly Look what he says. This is how he ends this section here. He says, therefore, okay, so in light of all of these things, in light of seeing the, the, the passions and the, the desires that wage war inside of you, the, the posture towards self-focus, look what he says. So therefore, the fact that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Verse 9 Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, Humble yourself before the Lord. Here it is Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will uh, exalt you, he will bring you up. Now, I want to draw your attention to, in in, so in this little, in these four verses, we have, in the Greek form, we have 10 things called the uh, 10 imperatives. So imperatives is a tense of a verb in the Greek that we don't necessarily uh, have, but there's 10 of them in this and you can't exactly see them. And so the imperatives are submit, resist, near, cleanse, purify, miserable, mourn, weep, turn, and humble. There's 10. And so when you read the imperatives in the Greek form, you, you wouldn't read them like this. Verse seven, you wouldn't read them like, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee you and draw near to God. Now, what, what when, when James is writing in this imperative form and posture, he's saying, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. There's this emphasis in all of them. It's like hitting. He said, I want you to see these things, to grasp and understand it. And so the question before us this morning is where, where are you refusing to submit to the authority of God in your life? Where have you said to God, here and no further? Where is it? Is it in your vocation? Is it in your relationship status? Is it your wallet, your money, your future, your sexuality? Like, what, what is it? Where you've just said, here and no further. You can go no further. Because James says, God loves the one, God is with the one who submits himself to the Father, who resists the devil. Now, resist, like, he's saying you must resist, you must run from him, run from the destructive natures and the habits that exist. Here's the final thing here. I want to kick back to Philippians 2. Look how Paul ends this section on the, the humility of Christ. Because here's the way forward for us. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ. This is um, verse five. Who says, existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself and by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, verse eight, says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse nine. Says for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it was Jesus' humility that took him to the cross. What do we owe to the humility of Jesus? We owe our spiritual life. That's what took him to the cross. And so James here ends out this section and says, you know what, he says, consider your posture, consider the the sin nature that exists. He says, mourn it, weep it, recognize the destructive nature of it. And then he says, in all of these things, God invites you in. Through the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection of Jesus, he invites you into new life. And so maybe you're here this morning and for you, you've recognized like, gosh, I have been living for self in these particular areas. And maybe this morning you need to repent of that. You need to do some work with God here in a second and just say, man, I'm sorry. I've been living in that posture in that way. Or maybe you're here, you're not, um, you're not a follower of Christ, you're not someone living in the way of Jesus. Maybe for you this morning you need to trust him and you need to uh, submit your life to him in humility, come before him and say yes to him and to his way, die to self. Die to the destructive natures that Paul, that James is pinpointing here. Maybe that's where you're at. Um, we'd love for you to do that this morning. You can come see one of us this morning.